Welcome to the Movie Overload podcast, the film book club podcast thing, because I'm trying to add new things to the <laughs> intro and it doesn't work. Uh, it's God a podcast where we go through uh, the 100 essential films uh, uh-huh. throughout the history of cinema from uh, Trip to the Moon to Parasite and everything in between. And also Except we must mention fuck Woody Allen. Heck that yeah, guy. Yeah. Can I get can I get fucks all around for Woody Allen? <laughs> Heck. Uh, I, th- I think you're going to get a three quarters of the way around. Uh, make a nice pie chart there. <laughs> good On enough. the last day of this podcast, I'll I will give you a resounding. I'm very excited. Okay. Yeah. That'll yeah. Heck that guy. It's going to be fun. Uh, another note. Uh, as I've been looking back through the 100 essential movies, just to make this sure, uh, we are not gauging the movies off of critical consensus or really anything other than what we decided on at the beginning when watching this and may or may not be regretting at this point. <laughs> and uh, I, I hear that you had a hard time with Harakiri. <laughs> uh, look forward to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in Evil Dead 2. Yeah. Those are on the list. I'm sorry. Right. Are those more? No. Probably. Uh, so I haven't seen either. They are. Uh, Evil Dead Two is much more, but it's a comedy. But if you don't like blood, uh, hmm. I uh, didn't know that I had a problem with blood. Usually, I'm okay. And if it's a comedy, I'm usually pretty good at identifying special effects because of my theater mm-hmm. experience. So I'm like, I'm not scared because that's just cornstarch. So. Evil Dead 2 is extra. I think you'll be fine with it. Texas Chainsaw Massacre doesn't actually... You don't actually see any violence happen on screen. But it's it's very good at implying. It is very good. Sneaky. (laughs) It's kind of worse sometimes. Meat hooks and such. I think what got me about this... And I was talking to our pigeon friend about this. Uh Because... We the didn't even introduce ourselves. was especially <laughs> hard Oh, heck to introducing ourselves. Yes. They all know who we are at this point, yeah, unless it's their first episode, in which case, I'm sorry, this is your first episode. <laughs> <laughs> we have so much what? better to offer. You could you could start anywhere else, please. Yeah. <laughs> this is, uh, it's going to be great. We're it's like five minutes in. Not, <laughs> not even. One of us is Pigeon Friend, one of us is Anna, one of us is Aiden, and one of us is Hunter. And Guess you get who? to choose which is who. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry. Pigeon Pigeon All I was saying was that the sound effect really got me, yeah. and mm. the fact that it was suicide also the, got the, me. Like the so I ones actually or like the other ones. I saw. Uh, was it more that all <laughs> of it? Maybe that kind of thing. It's it's a lot of sounds. Okay. So I saw a really interesting review uh from Sally Jane Black, like one of the people I follow in Letterbox. She's, She's cool. great. Yeah. Uh but she actually was like I didn't want to watch this movie because I it was gonna be really triggering for me, but it was a classic so I knew I had to watch it and I watched it and realized that it wasn't going to because no one commits suicide in this movie. They're all It's true. Yeah. Acts of societal murder, I, institutional whoa. murder. I 100 yeah. percent agree, and this is actually like a thing because I, I mean, anybody who's talked to me at any, any length about movies has probably heard my rants about the way that suicide is used in film. Mm-hmm. Um, I have I have some like very specific controversial problems. ideas. I don't know. I I think that it, they shouldn't be controversial, but yes, it does lead to me disliking Dead Poet Society, mm-hmm. which, which is, is valid. which is controversial. But I also think that the way that it does it is solely for the purpose of like 
capitalizing on it and making it like some kind of emotional release for the viewer. And I don't think mm. anything about Harakiri does that. And in addition to the fact that not only is it not suicide, because these are like essentially murders that you're seeing on screen, it, it doesn't do that. But it also isn't specifically using these scenes, the, these like gruesome scenes in order to make you feel sad and emotional and like you've lost somebody you know somehow even though you clearly haven't and this is all manufactured mm. um i think it does something almost I, I don't know i think it's i think it's the opposite of that. Like, anyway. it's i mean the obviously the one with the bamboo is like it's kind of the method by which it ends up happening kind of accentuates how much it's more of a murder than a suicide because mm. it just all of that scenario is highlighting just the cruelty of these people who are just like hey you said you were going to do it, so you better do it. And just there's no good reason for it. Well, and part of the thing that's really interesting, because I I also decided to watch the 2011 remake by Takashi Miike, uh, because I saw it around Letterboxd, and I'm like, did they actually remake Harakiri? Yes, they did. Uh, the way that it's played in the original, the classic Harakiri, it's cruelty... But it's cruelty that is is unseen by the people who are committing it. They don't realize that their actions are cruel, and it turns from apathy to mild anger to actual spite when they actually bring the body by. Mm -hmm. And you see, like, the people just at this point, you, you see their progression from being just wanting to protect themselves from these 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 ronin who are taking these poor ronin who are disadvantaged by society and trained to be warriors all their lives and then taken away from their livelihood mm -hmm. and they are taking advantage of these big houses of lords who aren't willing to give them small amounts of money because they're starving and so they're like no we can't have people taking advantage of us we're not chumps we have to show that we're we stand up and then they slowly are like this he's 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 not honorable. He he doesn't have proper swords. I hate him so much. <laughs> I hate him so, so much. I am going to spit on his corpse in front of his father. You know, that sort of, like, it it escalates there. Mm -hmm. and, and stuff. I, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's good. Stuff. I, I, and I think I have a little <laughs> bit here about how it's political in that sense, because it's like, it has it has it makes sense for now i think it mm -hmm. even though it's what it's what i think kobayashi specifically talking about is not this it, exactly i think it has mm -hmm. the application to like for example like if, if you don't see the comparisons to the samurai's treatment of motome and the treatment of like by republicans and the police of like blm then i don't know what, i don't know what to say for you it's just a, it's a similar instance of you know, not recognizing systemic issues leading to controversial actions um, and instead just, uh, you know, having this self-importance and, and fighting against those who are committing these controversial actions, regardless of the context in which they're being forced to do that in. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, like people being like, oh man, I can't believe that somebody like broke into a target. How mm -hmm. dare they? And it's like, okay, well, what about all these people who are being like literally killed in the streets you know what i mean like this is why this is happening mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's like it's being silent and doing nothing about it, it is not changing this in mm -hmm. the same way um that's my that's my little political rant well you know, it's but. like this very 
absolute view of morality that is not contingent at all upon circumstance. But it also doesn't take into account the morality of their own actions. It's it's only oh, yeah. applying morality to the outside of the whoever's not in my specific group because mm. I mean, as you could see the the way that the samurai are operating or the so-called samurai mm -hmm. are operating um within this compound is like if you're if you essentially if you're you're part of our clique then like you're good, you're paid for, you're fine, you're honorable, you're whatever. Well, it's equating a form of, you know, like morality to the nature of the social order. What mm -hmm. is within the social order we have is what is good. The social order is not questionable because... That sounds like Aristotle. It sounds like Aristotelian ethics. I don't yeah. know if any of you know anything about Aristotle, but that's kind of what he was... In a very brief paraphrase, that's kind of what he's like, hey, like, some people were born to be slaves, some people were born to be women. Women are better than slaves. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but is that, is that, is his, is his view then, like, is he saying that that's objectively the case, or is he saying that that's because of the way that society is? It's, mm, oh, I think maybe he's more saying that that's objectively the case and society has formed around that mm -hmm. inherentness. Gotcha. Okay. So maybe it doesn't quite apply as much. Well, although I think it, that idea, that sort of conception of morality is the conception of the morality of the Lord in, the, in this case, who is presiding over all of this. And when he is, uh, when the samurai, our uh, protagonist, of whose name I cannot remember because I cannot remember character names for the uh, life of me. Tsumugo? Something like that. Uh, let me look it up. I wrote it in, in here. Um. So he comes in and he reveals that he has bested his three best samurai. And uh, he believes that the concept, the samurai concept of honor is a, a farce in a sense because it is contingent upon the fact that their base me needs are met because while they are not fearing for their lives and the lives of their family from starvation and from sickness, they have the privilege of being able to hold this moral ground. But when put in crisis, that morality will crumble. It is not absolute. That is his thesis, which he proves by showing the actions of the samurai after he has shamed them by cutting off their top knot and as he says to a samurai losing one's top knot is worse than death it is not losing life but losing face i also wonder and this is just another thing that was introduced is that the samurai's sword is his soul and so watching mm -hmm. sword and so you have the bamboo sword does that symbolize at first i was like oh this kid is a coward duh bamboo sword but as soon like as i saw me. that he had traded his sword for his family i was like oh my gosh get you a man See? that sells his soul to feed right. his family <laughs> like, well, and his right. father breaks down in tears and he's like why did i never think i was he so attached to this idea of yeah. my sword and how important it was i never thought that i could sell it to to save their lives because mm -hmm. if he he realizes that if he sold his sword and used that money he wouldn't his son wouldn't have gone off and tried to pull like a, a, a harakiri Stop. scam that he'd been hearing about like that stunt where he's like it's been happening a lot. I just need some money for medicine for my dying baby. And 
so when they get to that final moment and he reveals that I've bested them and what have they done? They have hidden like cowards. <laughs> Your best soldiers are not honorable men. When they are put in crisis, their so-called morality will crumble. At that point, the, uh, he, the, the Lord, kill him. Counselor? Kill him, like, uh, please, uh, and then cover the whole thing up. What if he no one needs to know. make him die? I don't know what else to do. I, I don't know why you said that, and it just sounded like the way Jared Leto would deliver that line. <laughs> make him die. I'm going to go commit die. Now. Live Me. in society. I will. Um, I have to die because I can't. Uh, I, I thought I was just never. I was forever free of that Jared Leto Joker, and then and Justice came League came along, the remake of the film that is the same film and, but different. And is it wrong? <laughs> is it wrong, fellows? That uh, that I did not hate it this time around. It's not wrong. No. You can enjoy whatever you want to enjoy. I still don't think it's great. It's not great, but not great. also a lot of people liked it I more wish than they the kept the story. "We live in a society" <laughs> line. Uh, anyway, the reason why you guys are killing me is because you guys are talking about all of the things that I've literally been spending months writing about, <laughs> and so it's like, can you uh -huh, please but also, tell us about it? Uh, um, Give okay. more context. So, so let me start Pigeon at the beginning. Buddy, I have, I have little some, birdie some extreme thoughts. Okay, first off, um, this, as we've talked about, it's not a suicide film, but also it's not a samurai film. And uh, I think that's really important to note when we talk about this because a lot of people watch this movie and watch Seven Samurai because those are the movies that are on the letterbox list or whatever. And they're like, I get samurai movies. And you only watched one samurai movie, and you watched another that's very unique. Um, so, this is first off, this is taking place in the '60s. This is when this is being made, mm -hmm. um, which is a very, very different time period than the than the Japanese film movements of the '50s. Very different from the '40s. Obviously, something like this could not have even been made in the '40s because it's sort of challenging some like feudalistic notions. It's challenging some of Bushido and that's just would not have been acceptable in wartime. The film wouldn't have been made. Um, Kobayashi would have been, you know, it just, it wouldn't have happened. Um, however, that doesn't mean that this is just a, a controversial political take on a samurai film. This is very specifically part of this very fiery political movement of the sixties that was, specifically anti-samurai it's a completely different genre just in the same way that you wouldn't compare like I, I guess i was thinking of like a movie like pride and prejudice that is set in the regency era with a movie that is specifically criticizing the regency you you wouldn't consider those the same genre just because they're taking place in a similar context um I, it's it's like that mm -hmm. um a lot of these directors from this era um specifically this was the thing. They would specifically be like, "I hate Kurosawa." Like that—that mm -hmm. was that was the statement at the time um, by a lot of these like you know more popular up-and-coming art house directors in the '60s because they saw Kurosawa as not being political, and that was like really just the peak. That's that's the only thing that they're going for in the '60s is just how do I make this more pathos-driven, more politically driven, and and be mad about some stuff that's bad. 
Um, and they, they saw that Kurosawa did not do that. So I, I think it's really interesting. You could draw comparisons. You could try to between Harakiri and Seven Samurai. I have some thoughts. Um, but comparing this movie instead to something like Redbeard, which came out in 65, which did not get a lot of good critical attention and, and was just considered very humanist to the point of not really having any kind of motivation would be a more apt comparison. We have Kurosawa trying to essentially edit culture here and there saying, I think we need to go for these ideals. I think we need to value these things more as a society versus the entire, like, no, let's burn the entire place to the ground type of thing that Kobayashi is doing here. Um, so again, I don't even think that what, what, uh, what Kobayashi is saying is like, oh man, look at these specific group of this specific group of people who are not being honorable, um, but saying essentially like, honor honor's not dead. Honor doesn't exist in this context. There's there's nothing about mm -hmm. this system at all that has value, and I think that's why we also see specifically uh, Tsugumo do the things that he does in the sense of like he's going around and he's sneaking up on these guys and chopping off their top knots he's he's not really fighting them in a one-on-one -on -one duel when he does do that one duel which is not his his intention that he started he breaks his sword and then chops up his top knot he doesn't he there's no not there's not a single point in this movie where there's actually any kind of you know honorable bushido combat whatsoever mm -hmm. he's just entirely going outside of the rules to be like guess what fuck you guys nothing that you're doing makes any sense and it's bullshit and it hurts people and it's destroyed my life and it's destroyed the lives of those that I love. And so I'm not even going to beat you on your own terms. Um, which is something that I think a lot of Western audiences like, we, we kind of like to watch the guy come in and play the same, like by the same rules and still beat them nonetheless, because, you know, just, magically thematically you know his heart was in the right place or something <laughs> like that he's better at the rules right he, he's better at the rules but no this is i mean this is that scene i guess which makes sense because we're talking about george lucas who like takes so much from all, like all, all of this um japanese stuff we're talking about like you know indiana jones just like shooting the guy swinging around the sword <laughs> which i which also to be fair was not written in the script from what i'm from what i know there there was yes. they were going mm -hmm. to do a duel anyway but it's that scene that's what this is is i don't i don't give a fuck this is stupid um yeah and and and, and he does that in i think a lot of ways but one thing that i want to highlight is the way that the camera work and, and the way that the editing and everything is constructed is in my view, very specific. You're able to get kind of caught in Tsugumo's flashbacks when he's talking about his story, the, the previous story. You're, you're able to kind of get invested and feel like you're just, you're in, involved in the story. Um, but when you're actually at the samurai compound, the, the editing and the, the expansive shots and how pretty it is and the music and all of the different things, the way that things cut around, very specifically show you that you're in a movie and while it's beautiful and impressive it's also showing that these characters these um you know so-called samurai are you know actors they're they're just playing a role and and so you have to see that well the lighting through the whole thing but specifically those sections is very theatrical mm -hmm. you have very specific lighting angles you might see literally in a theater 
Uh, one thing that comes to mind, even though it's in one of his flashbacks, the moment when the guards leave after dropping off his uh, son's very uh, dismembered body, not dismembered, but, you know, disemboweled body, uh, the light goes down on mm-hmm. on the backstage and a spotlight comes up on the body and them just just highlighting them just sitting there also yeah. his daughter's teeth are black i i i understand from things that i've heard that that might have actually been a like a beauty thing I've in the period that that's the, yeah. Yeah. Huh. yeah uh but it is uh, quite unsettling, especially when you aren't expecting it, and suddenly she just opens blood. her mouth. No, the teeth are black. It's not black. <laughs> because if you look at the earlier scenes when uh, she like opens her mouth, they're also black. Hmm. Before that point. Yeah, How they're just I black the whole notice? time. Yeah, she doesn't either. open her mouth that much. She doesn't have that many lines. She spends and most of the time burying her face and crying. That's <laughs> or well, coughing she up blood. She speaks from a distance sometimes, to yeah. be fair. Mm-hmm. To our fine lady. <laughs> yes. No. Uh, but yeah, so like all of it is really centering on the fact that when these people are around, they're, they're very clearly in a movie. They're, they're in a production. They're just, they're, they're just kind of kids playing a role. I mean, um, another there's... strike against that is how structured they're... I noticed in the last scene, like it was, there was a clear rhythm. You could watch them like for... I don't know. I was just like watching, watching the end scene. I was like, hmm. this is... You're clearly being signaled. You are moving in synchronous and with a specific rhythm that is mm-hmm. consistent. Right. Yeah. It's it was like a dance. it's so fascinating because I think it's something that's so easy to miss. Like I, when I first watched the movie, or the first two times I watched the movie, really, was, this was not something that I really paid much attention to because I was so into the fact that like, oh man, samurai stuff just kind of looks cool. Like obviously this is like not mm-hmm. this is, obviously that's not the point of this movie and whatever but like it looks cool and you're so invested in how different and unique this is from a lot of things that we normally see mm-hmm. that 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 takes center stage but this wouldn't have been i don't think the way that a lot of people would have read it at the time mm-hmm. um because all of this is commonplace for this genre i mean again i've talked about this on different episodes but if you're tuning in now um there's a very specific split in in japanese film um I don't know if, if that's really the case now with modern film, but but for a long time, um, Jap- Japanese uh, the, the Japanese film industry has been so separated from every other film industry, really, that uh, they have very very strict genre divisions that we just didn't we don't work with normally. It's it's very clearly split between the the Jidai Geki and the Gendai Geki, your your modern dramas like Tokyo Story and and your Jidai Geki like Seven Samurai. Um, and so within this, there are so, 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 so many of these, these period pictures that are trying to be accurate, that are, are trying to showcase Bushido and feudalism and all of this stuff. And it's commonplace to the extent that there was a pretty significant length of time in which there was a remake of the 47 Ronin coming out at least every year, like sometimes (laughs) multiple of of a year. (laughs) They, it's also just kind of a thing culturally is um a lot of these traditional stories are just told over and over and over and over again and it's not about it's not exactly about iteration it's not exactly about change it's about telling the story again and so we have a lot of this over and over again so so the differences in the way things are lit and the differences in whatever would have been at the very least more noticeable i don't know if that's like 
every person going out to see this film would be like, oh, he's subtly critiquing the the fact that they're all just actors. But you know, it's 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 more there, I guess. Mm-hmm. I wonder is the subtle critique the horrible um, wigs? That's just <laughs> that was thing. not so subtle. <laughs> That's just a thing in pretty much all of them. I would okay. I will say. That's one thing that I do believe Kurosawa has over Kobayashi. Better uh, wigs? Better wigs. Okay. We'll they were really bad. They're generally pretty like easy to miss uh, with Kurosawa. Yeah. And I sometimes mean, you could see the wigs. wig tape on close-ups and like the yeah. little wire sticking in. I'm like, uh-huh. hey. Well, I don't know if this is true or if this is just some weird like garbage orientalist thing that somebody wrote on letterbox that they weren't paying attention to the implications of what they're saying but what i have read is that the um uh the accuracy uh the blendability of visual effects is not really that important um and and hasn't been traditionally considered that important by japanese audiences like you could watch shin godzilla for example a movie that won all of the Japanese Academy Awards ever, and yet you watch it and you're like, "How did this come out? Like five oh, years yeah. ago now?" Because it looks garbage. Well, so there is a big thing because I've seen a lot, a uh, lot more modern Japanese film than you, history buff pigeon I only person. The old ones. Yeah, uh, but there is a major theme of the visual effects not needing to be textured. Uh, and in you know in a lot of anime adaptations they have like these really smooth 3D renders of like fantastical things and you're like are they just trying to resemble the anime style more and then you see other films that aren't based off of that at all and you're like no so the pre- presentational nature of it seems to be not nearly as you, you know argued over like film nerds in America argue over like oh Christopher Nolan films, they're so realistic. <laughs> and when you show them something like uh, the Wachowski sisters' uh, Speed Racer, they're, they're just like, that. what? This isn't realistic at all. <laughs> and a bunch of people hate it on that reason alone. Sad. You know, when there is the, there's a broader spectrum of what cinema can be than what any individual group might desire it to be and might base it off of you know the angry film professor who thinks that david lynch is the straight story is the perfect movie because it follows the perfect movie formula uh, you know those vibes david and, lynch and, is a racer head in this list because that was that was another movie fight club a racer head and the first 35 minutes of this movie are three <laughs> things that have made me so v- viscerally uncomfortable Ooh, yeah i think mm. i i did you put eraser head on eraser head yes, is in fight club is in neither are movies fun. that i've seen i'm not i'm I, not excited both i haven't of, seen eraser head eraser head's a bit much um eraser head's a lot just um I'm excited do whatever you are morally comfortable with to get in the least um encumbered state possible <laughs> Before watching that, um, if that requires like being sleep deprived or drinking a lot of soda or candy or drinking grain alcohol until you pass out, whatever it is, it's 
probably what you need to do. You know? Whatever you need to do. I love the way that you phrased that. The funny thing is, I'm usually crocheting while I'm watching this. <laughs> I, I, so I don't know if like that's a very the point. I'm just like crocheting while watching a razor. But I'm like, I, oh, oh, I hate this movie so much. I, I feel like he would really like that piece of information. That's that's probably true. <laughs> he was just like, well, David Lynch would would very much enjoy that. Uh, he would he hates it every time you go on stage and try to ask him what his movies are about, because uh, I don't know what his reasons are. I think that it is a masterstroke of surrealism to deny the existence of an explanation because it's about surpassing, as with like other modes of filmmaking, it's about surpassing the 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 conscious self and expressing itself within the unconscious self. It, the meaning of the movie is the feeling of the movie. Which makes me feel ill. I think it's supposed to. Um, I think it's funny. The guy's head literally gets turned into erasers at hey, one point. spoiler alert! Oh, I'm sorry Watch for yourself. spoiling it's a plot. surrealist movie that's been out for several decades so, and everyone knows exists. I'm, I'm glad I wasn't paying attention. Oh, Good, because that's, that's like the, the best part of the movie. I, I'm excited I to get to it. Just like, I don't know anything I about it. I think what, that's one of those movies you, you literally can't spoil because even if you knew everything that happened in that movie, you would watch it and you would still be surprised. Well, I love those movies. We're almost there, aren't we? We're yeah. 15, up. 20 weeks away. <laughs> you say almost, but we still have to get through the entirety of the 60s, which you have loaded with three-hour epic after three-hour epic. That's what the 60s are. <laughs> You're me. right. And you you put them in. You yeah. put them all in. And put them in a row. And then we can wait a little get while our for our out. next three-hour epic. We got a stack. True. We yeah. got. Uh, when is our next three-hour epic? Once we finish the '60s, I feel oh, like it's not sure. for. Oh, it's 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 like a couple weeks after it. You know, after, is, there's nothing in the '70s. The, there is in the '70s. What epics do we have in the '70s? I'm gonna know. look up the list, but I was looking through the watch times. I'm like, oh, once we get through the '60s, we're fine. Then two weeks into the '70s, we have something that's almost four hours long. I mean, and I'm like, got, I, uh, wait, oh, we've got Lord of the Rings Yikes. at the latest, but like, I know that's several yeah, decades past. Yeah, but we also have um, Brighter Summer Day. True. Oh, that mm -hmm. one's four hours. Yeah. That's oh, the one. Oh, yeah. Uh, you also have Andrei Rublev. I think that that's the, the 60s, 60s yeah. but um, where is our list? Brighter Summer, Summer Day takes really place in the 60s. Sound of music is long. I, uh, is it? Is it? I think it's long. Yeah, it's pretty long. Brighter Summer's Day is long. Yeah. But Sound of um, Music is long. It, but I feel like some of them feel longer than others. Like, Sound of Music is pretty action-packed, but Brighter Summer Day, like, it's beautiful in this way, but it also is very slow yeah so, so 72 we have really the godfather long. which isn't exactly it's short not, it's like two hours though yeah and then a few weeks after that we have uh janan dillman uh 23 oh, oh Jean, yeah yeah is you that, know i didn't know that that was a uh, that's in the 70s the that was in the 70s and it's 202 minutes long yeah that's a long one the godfather is definitely a three-hour movie I just yeah thought. really Yes, it's it 175. Like it. Oh, okay. that movie does move. It moves. It's new Hollywood. It is like 
pacing. It's paced really and well. And cinematography. Like, I think that this movie that we're talking about now is... I'm curious what you guys thought. I know <laughs> I, I've heard some complaints about the pacing of this movie. You know my take. I, is that it's slowly paced or well paced? I think it's very well paced. I think it moves... I don't think it moves economically, but I think it moves deliberately enough that there's there's always a reveal of information. You're always wondering, especially in the first bit, who is it here that I'm that I'm rooting for? Who who is the person that is honorable? What what is what is the thing that I'm searching for here? See, I would agree. Both times I've watched it at the hour mark, I have either wanted to turn off the movie or have turned off the movie and taken a little break. The last hour of the movie, I think, mo- uh, works like works hard. But after the first Harakiri, and then up to the hour mark, that like thirty thirty five minute stretch there, just drags for me interminably. It feels like I've been watching the movie for years. Okay, this I needs think a vote. For me, I think the pacing as well. Like if you just look at the movie, hmm. for me, it was emotionally dragging i guess i don't know to start with something so raw and i've been thinking about what you said about using a person's suicide as an emotional release in a film versus this which is a murder and you're not really emotionally connected to this character at this point it just kind of happens which i think might have been part of why it caught me so off guard and Mm. made me feel so weird i think partly because i didn't have this emotional connection and so my my mind was like, Anna, you're watching somebody die and all you're feeling is sick because it sounds bad. Like, that kind of, like, hmm. disconnect too. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like because it started with that, my emotions and my mind were being weighed down by thinking about the film and thinking about the implications and thinking about what it means for honor to drive you to I guess yeah. murder yeah. I guess is that well, that's, I think that's, that's a really fair fascinating definition. thing about it yeah is that is that I Kobayashi does not let you enjoy a film no ever and I mean <laughs> I did not obviously or what because uh, we only do one film by a director so we could not put the human condition in here but he has uh, a a three part series called the human condition each of which the movies are like three four hours long um, I think it's longer than the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, so, and it's it stars Tatsuya Nakadai, and it's very specifically just umbrage the most taken. aggressive. Hmm? I, I have umbrage taken it with the fact that you say oh, Kobayashi doesn't let people enjoy films. Because my favorite Kobayashi film I enjoyed very much. Kwaidan oh, is yeah. a, a delicious anthology of Isn't classic horror stories. Really uncomfortable? <laughs> no. It's it, some of the stories are uncomfortable, and some of them are are incredibly sweet, and some of them are just uh, fun horror. It has uh, one of my favorite action sequences fun in horror. any movie ever. I like you horror. You have movies. to be somebody to like who likes okay. horror to to feel that way. True, is my but point. um, there is a scene in that movie that is my favorite fight scene of all time. One of them because it is silly, it is ridiculous, it is stagey, and it is. Un, wa- un unwatchable you have to watch it when it is on the screen because it comes it's it's a big classic historical fight as one man fights through an entire army on these tiny little boats that are floating in the water and most of the people he just pushes off 
He's just running. He's running down with chaos and energy to get to his lost love, and he's just pushing people out of the way, and so they're falling into the water. It's <laughs> it's like the Sarlacc pit in Return of the Jedi. It, it almost is. Uh, Kurt, that, uh, George Lucas has definitely watched these movies. Well, Kobayashi like strikes me as someone. His action sequences, all of the ones I've seen, aren't like cool. They're kind of ridiculous in in a small way because they're. They're so dancey and they're so minimal compared to especially a lot of the just so extra fight suite sequences we see in America with guns and explosions and stuff. I Even like care. the hey, sword fights. Oh, there were guns fights. in this one. Oh, there were guns in this one. I have a thought about Oh, that, he got shot. But Tell no. Me thought. Okay, well, I mean, I just think the fact, I, I, I think that's another parallel, notably, between this movie and Seven Samurai. The, the use of guns in in killing off samurai feels like this like invasion or like this this wrong that's committed in, in a weird way because there's i mean what can you do to like fight up against a gun when you're at the other end of a room and somebody's pointing what? a gun at you but but the thing ha is it happens in seven samurai and in my view of seven samurai that's kind of his his you know referencing westernization of like look at here all four samurai that die in this film are shot by rifles. Except None in of this, them are cut down. in Harakiri, how I read it, at least, I don't know if this played this way to you. At that point, he's holding the like the shogun's armor, right, mm -hmm. the red armor, and he has it in front of him, and they have the guns pointed at him, and it's like, oh, he can use that to deflect the bullets, or at least protect himself somewhat. But instead, he lifts it above his head and throws it on the ground. And he's like, I don't care. I'm. I, I'm making a statement here, then runs into the back wall and immediately cuts his gut, gut open and gets shot. I don't think historically the armor wouldn't have done anything to protect against bullets. I think the whole point was they were stopping there because they didn't want him to desecrate the armor further. And then he well, yes. trashed it. Because, well, in because that sense, he, he was being protected by the armor because they weren't going to shoot the armor. Because the armor is yeah. a, like a fetish okay. for them, in yeah, not true. the American sense, but in the traditional sense, it is like an object of power, an object of reverence, that has taken on a meaning beyond the object. It is the like the soul and it's the a symbol. Key. Yes. Yeah. Of which you did not mention the Charlie Kaufman film. It, it's just Whoop everything has to come back to my thesis because I—that's specifically what I was writing about today. <laughs> Um, was the way that swords and uh, in the case of like Ikiru Watanabe's hat are, are these synecdoches that, that are symbolizing the entirety of the samurai and Bushido. In this movie, we have that same thing that Kurosawa likes to use a lot, except in this case, it's the Shogun armor, in which case the, the victory is in desecrating it mm -hmm. rather than in Seven Samurai. Uh, these symbols live on after the death of their heroes and are this kind of symbol of even though their victory is not recognized by the people around them, the symbol of, of their duty fulfilled lives on. So again, you have this weird dichotomy between the two directors where, you know, they're sort of talking about the same thing, but sort of not because Kobayashi's like burned the whole thing to the ground. And Kurosawa is like, no, what if, what if we did like honor and Bushido and loyalty and duty and responsibility and all these things, but we did it in a way that like 
actually cared about humans like mm. what if the source of of what is honorable and dutiful is what is objectively right not what is considered you know good by society yeah. i and wonder both, both. Yeah. Mm-hmm. i'm sorry you go oh <laughs> i was just going to comment on the structure of the film and how it bookends itself so it starts mm-hmm. the same way that it ends with the mm-hmm. the armor and the smoke and the book being opened or closed mm-hmm. and i just i feel like I don't know. I wonder, this is an unfinished statement, obviously. If the director is saying, burn it all down, we don't need any of these structures, they're not honorable, they're murdering people, but it's almost like all of that revolution is contained solely within that film, and as soon as it's done, the book is closed, the armor is back in its place, the end. It's like the damage has been done, and they know that now. Like, there's nothing they can do to fix that, it's just there. The damage has been done, and they have been shown that everything that they believe is is just as hollow as the armor, and yet they just continue the farce anyway. Now they're no longer these children who are just, you know, blindly following these rules. They're now actively choosing to follow it in Mm -hmm. spite of the fact that they know that it's meaningless. Taking the, like, bizarre step of, like, command them to commit harakiri but also the public story is that they will have died from illness it's like okay mm-hmm. weird yeah <laughs> it's an admission of well it's it's not an admission of guilt but it's an admission that like this is all farcical mm-hmm. and they are forced to do that and so that's how he wins is really just by he forces them to kill him with guns not in honorable combat not proving themselves in any way he desecrates i mean you can even see in the set i feel like uh, of the the compound he like rips his way through that it's destroyed even even literally like the building itself is is destroyed by him none of it has any meaning anymore and and he's he's forced them to take all of these extra actions on top of having to fight him um that is not considered honorable in their in their code with the metaphor of the book though too this is a period piece it's sort of like looking back and a bunch of people today in America make the argument, why do we need to talk about slavery? It happened. It's over now. And in some case, yes, that period of time, the book is closed. We cannot change it. But that happened. And the fact that those systems existed and those systems kept existing and were able to cover up a lot of the horrific things they did. I mean, the book doesn't tell the truth. Yeah, the it truth. impacts it. Mm-hmm. the The book of history has lies in it that we have just accepted, and we need to go back and question our preconceptions and what What do we think of the samurai? Mm-hmm. What do we think of the early America peoples? Yeah, you know. Yeah, and that that's ultimately why a lot of these directors would come around and say that they hate Kurosawa because Kurosawa's whole thing was like, hey. How about, like, we just kind of change the way that we're doing this? And they're like, but do you not recognize that these are symbols of, of cruelty and, and disgusting, horrible things? These are, in, these are inherently wrong, and our society continues to fetishize and idealize Bushido despite all of this. Um, I mean, look at where it got us in World War II, for example. So, yeah, I agree. Good point. Chill. Chill, 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 um, chill, chill, chill. Do we have Rat any other times. thoughts? Oh, oh, Hunter, mm-hmm. uh, what? what do you think of the pacing of the film? <laughs> we uh, didn't vote on this yet. Uh, uh, pacing, pacing, good. 
Um, did it not? It did not drag in in the first hour. I mean, for you? you can. De- I would probably agree that it does get its slowest just in the middle, just mm. because like boy, it starts off heavy and it ends heavy. So of course, in the middle, like just kind of objectively has the least like. Well, I don't know. Maybe that's bad to say. It doesn't have anything wild happening as much in the middle. True. The the impact of like watching a guy be forced to kill himself. And then also, I don't know, I feel like the big moment in the end is almost more just the fun catharsis of seeing him toss the top nuts out and stuff like that. Or just like Mm -hmm. those things. And then all the stuff in the middle is like, okay, we're going to bring it all together and bridge these and make the ending really satisfying. Yeah. It feels super plotting in the middle. Like, like a, um, the ending doesn't work like knives out almost like like one of those types of like whodunit films where you can see you can tell like the pieces are getting put together and this mystery is being set up and it's being revealed slowly but you you're just kind of in that drip feed phase it's engaging enough but yeah like a lot of it is just like and then the baby was sick and then it got more sick and i was sad (laughs) i don't know (laughs) sad for baby though it was sad that part (laughs) worked for me yeah. I think I think the part I that dragged more was when they're like painting umbrellas and the guy's like, uh-huh. you should make your daughter marry this guy. Uh-huh. That's where that's I was that's, that's the part I'm talking about that's right there. I Which, have such problems. This is That's the part when I like really started paying attention again for some reason because I've been doing a bunch of other stuff because I've seen this movie so many times. See, I was just thinking about the whole time through the umbrella part is how much I like demons. To, to mm. My favorite samurai movie or anti-samurai movie i don't know it's the closest thing i've ever seen in samurai films to a noir horror mm-hmm. uh it was made in like the 70s or 80s and it looks like it was made in like the 50s or 60s and it's great it's also directed by the guy who did funeral parade of roses and you can only watch it on youtube because reality is broken mm. <sighs> is it at least a good copy uh, it's a good enough copy. Nice. Uh, it's it's black and white. You don't need all that much fidelity. It's like crushed blacks, and there's umbrellas, and there are good shots with umbrellas. Oh my god, I love that movie so much. <laughs> um, shout out to just the fact that Tatsuya Nakanai's performance is good. It's a complete detour. Well, of course, he, that's really one good. of the best pieces of movie acting I've ever seen. It's awesome. <laughs> And he's great, and it almost makes me mad sometimes um, because he's good in so many things, yet he's not Toshido Mifune. Um, and it upsets me later because in his later career, he uh, he became Kurosawa's golden boy as well and, and was the lead in his final films and was just very obviously not as good as you can tell that Toshido Mifune would have been in those roles. Like you could still tell Kurosawa's writing for, for Mifune. <laughs> but he has a good one here. Kobayashi's the person who like discovered him. He was like working as a waiter or something. And Kobayashi's like, you look like you'd be good at acting. And then Tatsuya Nakadai became like a sort of the actor of Japan. Like he's <laughs> still alive and he's still acting now this he is was, a really he stupid was in question, seven samurai which person are we talking about the the main guy the uh, main dude Tsukimo? the yes. intense dude i am fully tracking his much intense incredible it, mm-hmm. good beard too he it's looks so stuff. he's he has one of those faces where he can just 
do any role and just completely transform and be unrecognizable. Mm. I mean, actually, I think he might be the only actor here on our list who's worked with three different directors uh, mm-hmm. on the list. Because he did, he worked with Kurosawa, he worked with Kobayashi, and way, way, way later, we'll get to, he worked with uh, Takahata. I don't think he's in uh, Grave of the Fireflies, but, but he did work with... Tale of Princess Kaguya. Yeah. Interesting. I've been Somehow, in forever. like 2011, oh, it's on my he list. was voice acting. This I guy, mean, you don't need much physical mobility for voice acting. You just need the breath within your lungs. I know, and he has his, such uh, good breath. His last <laughs> credit, his last credit from great breath is from 2019. Mm. The wind beneath Maybe. your pigeon wings. <laughs> he is. I really like him. And when you when you um, look at interviews with him, he dresses up like like he's Elton John or something. Like he's just. <laughs> I don't know why, but he just dresses up like nice. super. Like super to the, the uh, to the nines, it's great. Oh, yeah, it's so sweet. It's fantastic. Although, okay, we're having a great time, but I think it's time to we powder this puff up. pastry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't, we don't have that much time left. Had to be a short Good. one today. We uh, got to the big stuff pretty quickly. I feel I like. so. We kind of did. We started off immediately, yeah. as this film does. Can I can Indeed. I put in my one last note in thirty yeah. seconds? Yeah. Uh, we we before had talked about a little bit before the podcast started about the sound. Um, and I, and I just want to say that Kobayashi's, like, use of very, like, dramatic silence to, like, very loud scenes going back and forth like that, um, I also want to say is, like, expressly, like, Kurosawa's trademark. <laughs> um, and so I just want to mention that as well. Mm-hmm. My point with all of this was to say, because I'm a stan, that despite the fact that this movie would disagree with Kurosawa's points in a lot of ways and does a lot of, you know very different things ultimately it literally couldn't have been made without kurosawa's um influence um kurosawa is kind of the reason why samurai films started getting political to begin with and and so that that's uh why something like this is allowed to exist and he he even takes these sorts of things from him so there you go before we can go uh the sadist in me uh requires that we all eat sweet treats in front of Anna. Oh, no. That's so mean. Who is half That's a so continent away no. and cannot enjoy them what? with us. I also can't have gluten or dairy, so. <laughs> See, that's what I was saying. When we were going to get. It's these, okay. Like, wait, 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 wait. Like, Actually. Yeah. Let's just destroy oh, the audio. Yes. There you go. Yep. Here's your ASMR clan. As we all know, <laughs> it is great adequate, adequate to eat on mic. And I'm very I adequate it's pronounced at eating on the map. Equitable. Yeah, I mean, equitted. You have to say both T's. Equitted. Equitted. Okay. Anyway, with donut. That's my last thought. Is donut. Um, ratings. We probably all like this movie. Thought it was good. Real good. As a thought. One star. Uh. This movie made me decide that I need to change my rating scale. So stay tuned. Ooh, Chill. Because you can't give this five stars even though it's perfect. Yeah, I would give it, like, maybe two and a half. Mm. But I feel like oh. that's unfair to this movie, so I need to change my rating scale. Despite the fact that it's, it's really a, good, just because it's a really it harsh rating scale. Move to a completely subjective rating scale yeah. like well, me. Well, that's, that's what it was. That my, my rating scale was entirely just like, yeah. I liked it. It was good. <laughs> I well, mean, so- it... I put more thought into it than that, but now I'm Click. like, okay, I need to change it to include movies that are masterpieces even though they were painful. Yeah, mm. put a uh, masochism clause in there where you're like, it hurt me, but it made me feel something. 
I like it. I gave Dead Poet Society four stars, so. You, you don't have to do that. No one's making you do that. I know. I gave Dead Poet Society three stars. It deserves four. Maybe I don't change it. Change okay. my. We'll see. I read Tim. Shout out to Tim again. I read his rating scale on Letterboxd, and I was like, I love that. Mm. So it's fun. Yeah. Anyway, on that note, yep. I really have to go. So Alrighty, bye, guys. Have a good time. See ya. Bye. Right, I guess we can just wrap up now. Yeah. Um, I give four and a half again. Four and a half. It's it's good. We have a it's, quote it's above average. It's a good writing. I pulled up the quotes page from IMDb because I'm yes. useless. Mm -hmm. Well, then we'll close out with, uh, as we say at uh, the uh, end uh, of every episode of The Thing when we end the thing. It's hard because and there's just like, you know, there's like the one quote that's like a really easy pick. Mm -hmm. But then there's like other ones that are just not as good. At the end of the day, when we Here, say the thing, I can basically turn we this say into the thing. I could no. uh, go like no, other no. ones and just keep it um, like an, no. advi an advice bit. Like what's the what's the big tip? The words of wisdom and advice from the movie. That can be my my, my thing. Okay. And uh, in this case, it, you could say it's. Uh, no, I'm trying to pick. Swordsmanship untested in battle is like the art of swimming. Mastered on land. I figured you were going to go with that yeah. one. It's very uh, mm -hmm. practical. You can use it yeah. in your everyday life. Yeah. Good times. Consider this mm -hmm. and take use. Cool. Awesome. The end. I uh, hope, hope you like ASMR. <laughs> Whee! Oh, oh, boy. I'm going to probably trim these down. Maybe. <laughs> oh, no, you can. Mm -hmm. Just overlay it. Put it in and double it. Put it over the whole put, episode. Put like, a, like an echo thing on. Oh, yeah. just, just put just a massive amount of, yeah, like... Do both distortion and like reverb and delay. Oh, just, just make yeah, it just right. fucked. <sighs> yeah, people do okay. that. I kind of like that actually. Distortion? <laughs> Not distortion, I guess, but delay. Yeah, delay is fine, ASMR's but cool. adding distortion would just make it more painful. Yeah, that'd be oh. interesting. We we Maybe. know our audience. We know they like pain. They listen to it us. As a, they, they gotta like the pain. <laughs> put it as an aside at the end. Anyway, yeah. yeah, let's go with it. I guess that's the end. all right. Cool. That's the end. Bye. <laughs> I refuse. <laughs> no, remember you promised you'd get hyped up if I took you to a hockey game. Yeah. But and I my, would say, get hyped up, and you would go, yeah! My version of being hyped up would be like, oh, look at him, look at him. <laughs> you know, the person who sits at metal shows. Yeah. That vibe. Me. No, that's, yeah. Do you sit at metal shows? I would if I could. <laughs> that's mm -hmm. fair. I don't care about being in the crowd at all. My ideal Oof. metal show would involve me editing something else in the corner while the metal show was happening. Mm. You're I'm like not on really the a concert person. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Literally, an, I'm not like other girls' complex. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. Uh, he looks out in the crowd and he sees me and I'm different from other girls. I'm reading a book in the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, Jessica Dobson noticed that I was different than the other girls because I was the only person there who liked their, her band. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that does set you apart. Yikes. Well, it's just that she wasn't headlining and everybody was there for a majorly popular band. And so it was very obvious that nobody Cared. even knew who Deep Sea Diver was despite them like playing in their hometown oh. 
Um, it was weird because I like traveled out of town. Anyway, it's fine. It's good. Anyway, we can probably start an episode now if we want yeah. to, <coughs> theoretically. Um, Anytime now. Uh, Anytime okay. um, now. 